0: This week, the New York Public Library podcast welcomes Myra Kalman, illustrator and author of more than 20 books for both kids and adults, including Fireboat, The Heroic Adventures of the John J. Harvey. Kalman sits down with us to talk about strong female characters, nonlinear storytelling, and drawing outside the lines. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Learn more at nypl.org podcast. And to make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Great. How's that? Can you hear me? You're going to have to, like, close and announce that there's no talking allowed. Well, you're supposed to be quiet in the library, aren't you? Well,
1: I think what happens so, is people, okay. people sort of wander in. The acoustics are strange but have gotten better over time. I mean, they suck. The acoustics, <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Can you all hear, Can you hear us? us? I have to keep okay. it that
0: close to my mouth. Okay.
1: So um, I want to talk about uh, my favorite things, which I thought was a lovely book. And I wanted to talk about how it was structured because I found the structure of it so interesting. I mean, first you start with your own personal story, and then you move to... The, the the curated collection that you put together out of the H- H- Cooper Hewitt collection, which is reopening in December, October... De- December 12th. December 12th. Right. And then you move to your own favorite things, um, which we'll talk about. But I, I wondered, was it an editorial decision? Was it your decision that you wanted... It to make sense by
0: telling the person how, how did that evolve? Right. Well, it's because I can stay on point. And actually, <laughs> it's very true. I don't, you know, any assignment that's given to me, I think, well, that's nice, but I have another idea. And not to make it um, self-indulgent, but there, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about the things that I love. So it grew out of a conversation about the Cooper Hewitt but it had to be more personal, and it had to have more meaning for me than just a catalog of a show. Sure. So, sure. I, was, so I was able to find a way in terms of memory, in terms of my family, and, and, in, and the sense of how do we inhabit space and what are the things that we collect. So to give it a context rather than here's some stuff in a museum because that might or might not be interesting.
1: I, um, in the book you say, or it also says on the back of the book, People lived, people died. Everything is part of everything. Book, fish, suit, time, mother, father, life. And I thought maybe this is the clue to favorite things. Um, And maybe you distilled it down just to a couple of words. Um, I want to talk about that further and just how favorite things come to pass. I mean, they have to do with stories we hear Maybe times we spent with somebody, right. looking at somebody in a hat and suddenly you love hats, writing a list and suddenly writing that list gives you more pleasure than the list. It's just right. writing the list. So can you,
0: can you talk a little further about that? So uh, somehow the way that I look at the world, which I guess began as a young child, is I spent a lot of time looking. It's not that I was antisocial, but a, a part of me was always removed and always looking, which is maybe what, how everybody is. So I was able to think of myself as an observer and think of myself as absorbing all of the things around me and, and allowing the time... To really look at something and to really say, "Whoa, that's an amazing chair!" Either sitting there in that room or sitting there broken on the street, they both had equal value for, for very different things. And I think that my family, the women in my family, were really important. They were they were very much storytellers and they were irreverent and 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 um, funny. So they weren't very sentimental, though they, they had a lot of love in them. But there was a, a, you, know, you were allowed to be irreverent about things and not to sort of have a, a holy um, sentiment about not making fun of things. So there's a combination of being both heartbroken and, you know, happy
1: right, at the same yeah. time,
0: which is very complicated, well, I, I want to tell you.
1: I actually want to go back um, after. Well, let's talk about your mother a little bit now because she factors in the beginning yeah. of, of the book. Um, as this real figure in your life, I mean, I mean obviously there were a lot of strong women. her right. sister, probably your aunt, that picture is so amazing, um, and she was a great beauty um, and, and one of the most moving, as I, I told you pieces, and I was going to talk about it later in the book, for me at least were these embroideries you made after your mother died and I, I asked you backstage, you know, did you, I mean, was it, because you were, I mean, we'll get into writing and illustration, but I'm wondering, did she encourage you to read, to write? What was, you know, who, was she, she was a powerful woman. Who, did she write herself? Did she embroider? Did she, you know, tell me a little bit about.
0: Um, well, her. my mother, my family came from Belarus, and so they brought with them the home arts of, Embroidery and and ironing and all of those things that everybody did in their little shack in their little village—that was, you know, what you did, what the women did too. But she never considered herself an artist, and she wasn't an artist. She never wrote, though there was a lot of letter writing, which was another way of them expressing themselves. In a very, it was really wonderful when we came to America and the letter writing between her and her sister. But uh, what she did encourage me to do was to read, and that was critical in our family. So when we came to America, we went to the library. We didn't buy books, but we went to the library and we started, you know, we worked our way around, and and I said, when I got to L, when I got to Pippi Longstocking, I said, this is the job for me, I'm going to be a writer. There was no question about it, and you know, and it's funny because, but I want to say that I just, before I was here now, I was with my son, who has a museum in an elevator shaft on Cortland Alley, And we're opening, I say we because I feel so, you know, part of it, he is opening an extension in another elevator shaft and it's going to be the Museum of My Mother's Underwear Closet. (laughs) Clearly. There was no other choice <laughs> but that. And so the, the sense that we you know we want to honor her and this is the way that I mean she had a beautiful underwear closet, but mm-hmm. at any rate, very organized and with the linen beautifully ironed and and, and lined up. So you know we, we the dialogue of how these people inhabit your lives and how they can continue to inhabit in a funny and ridiculous and wonderful way. I mean now I hope all of you come and you'll see the underwear how great Sarah Berman's underwear like giant brock <laughs> collection was. So um, we continue to have a sense of humor and a sense of life and, the, and, and a sense of loss, you know, that it's, sure. it's inconceivable that she's not here with us. So, of course, I talk to her all day long and um, try to hear the answer, which I'm making up, obviously. So
1: <laughs> You were seven or eight years old when you found Pippi Longstocking, and she mm. was a strong female character who was incredibly independent. Was that the yeah. draw yeah. and the
0: drawings in the book? Were there... The drawings in the book didn't really speak to me as much, though. Of course, they were vivid. It was really when I got a little bit older and I was looking at Ludwig Bemelmans. I mean, those those drawings, and that that I said, "Okay, now I know now I know what world I really want to inhabit because it's it's about a world of it, it taking your own life, your travels and your experiences, and somehow weaving it into a into a story, into an, a narrative that's not really plot based. It's more ex, you know ex, you know experience and in you know the in the inter, the in, unconnected and yet connected events that happened during the day when, and Bemelmans was for me the top that was the top yeah and
1: when did the shift to drawing occur from just w- working on the writing i mean how did you decide it's you really wanted f- you wanted to do both and you I, wanted to do less of the writing and right, more of not, the illustrating no, right, right, none, right, of, the, right, none right. of the writing
0: my, my goal was to stop writing horrible purple prose and i have all my notebooks you know i think i have everything I've, all the notebooks that i have since i'm about 17 or 18 wow. and and they morphed from writing into drawing it's really inter- you know for me to see it but it's beyond painful for me to read what i wrote then of course it probably is for most people to read where they wrote as an adolescent. I mean, it's, you know, it's horrible. So I said, I really need to find a different way. And, you know, the the time of New Wave and punk and, uh, you know, punk drawings and Saul Steinberg had a huge retrospective in 1978. So in, in the early 70s, I decided I would try this new thing, this narrative drawing, which wasn't a new thing at all. And that would be a way for me to tell my story, you know, cartoony and, kind of, you know, uh, surreal and naive and all of those things that I thought was a good way to, to tell the story. And then I was able, after I, the ch- my children were born and everything was so completely wacko and fabulous and nutty uh, that I thought, oh, this is the time to be able to, to do this for children. A children's book is a great way to write and to paint with a lot of freedom to do whatever you want. And
1: it's, you, I, I've, when I was reading a number of interviews, you really, you talked about how the details and observing, and the environment was much more important than the story, per se, that you weren't driven by story, you were really driven by what you saw around you, and the details, so it's the outside of the story, rather than the right. inside, of, really than the plot. Right, the plot doesn't right.
0: even exist for me, I don't even know what that is, and I don't, I don't think I could do one, I mean, in the barest, barest way in the books, there's some kind of plot to hold it together, but that's just an excuse for all the stuff that happens in between, and the you know, the digressions and the, you know, just the things that even if, you know, when I do a painting and I have a good, pretty good idea of what the painting is going to be, and I want to keep it simple, and I want to keep the, the words down to the minimum, and you really have to edit for a children's book, I also, all of a sudden I say, yeah, but there was this great box I saw, I better throw that in, and wouldn't it be nice if I could put in like the Duchess of Devonshire <laughs> lying on a, in this you know, so all of a sudden there's, there's more stuff peopling right. the the scene, uh, because i just can 't help myself
1: so it 's more the digressions than what pops into your mind now, I, I yeah. want to talk about the the Kant walk at three thirty the this walk that you take i mean now you 're saying that you 're doing morning walks, but that you yeah. take a break every day and it 's been and you su- have suggested it to your students as well to yeah, take well, this break the, the, and the, this must be where. All something these, happens, or nothing, happens. Hap- nothing Ideally, happens. nothing
0: right. happens. No, the the, the uh, Kant. You know, I I know nothing else, and understand nothing else about him except for the fact that he, <laughs> he took, took a, a walk. You no, that's about <laughs> the extent of my knowledge. But uh, he took a walk at 3:30 every day. I think it was 3:30. Maybe some of you know better. Maybe it was 3:15 or something. But so when I was teaching a course at, uh, at design for design students at SVA, one of the years we took this Kantian that you take a walk by yourself. Without you know your phone and your thing and your no no music and no conversation, and you really are able to experience what it is that people do experience, which is just the the freedom of not thinking about something, and the um, the ability for a human being to experience the pleasure of everything that's around them, so that you get to this kind of giddy state, and it doesn't last for that long, I mean, 45 minutes afterwards, <laughs> I, usually I give myself about 45 minutes of giddiness, and then, I, you know, then it's dark times again, but <laughs> that you can really, um, and all of a sudden, you know, problems are solved, and ideas flood in, and you don't know from where, you know, where they came from, but that, that there is this, uh, you know, anyway, it's such a simple thing, such a, so extraordinarily simple-minded. Is and it yet, the same walk? No. No, well, actually, no, I should say, no, yes. In the mornings, when I take my walk, it's the same walk. Okay. Uh, The rest of the day is up for grabs. It depends where I am, and it depends what I'm doing. So it depends uh, which country I'm in. You know, we were just in Japan, and we did a lot of walking there. And there was one walk called the Philosopher's Walk, which um, which, uh, there was a philosopher there who also took a walk every day from one spot to the other, and he was famous for you know, trudging along in a philosophical manner in a darkened, dour, <laughs> or door, depending on how you say it. I think it's dour. But dour. Rate, I say it dour, too. And so uh, that's a free... To, and, you know, it's free, and it's healthy, and it's ridiculously... Um, effective uh, for thinking. Yeah, effective, yeah, yeah, exactly. And if, if it's not effective, then fine also, but it will be.
1: <laughs> what... Um, what are, I wanted to find out what the books... First, illustrators you mentioned, but uh, are there artists that you really love looking at their work and you go back constantly? And they find—do they find their way into your work, or are they just people
0: you know, like Goya, for example, or yeah, Goya? Uh, You know the. I consider myself an illustrator, but I spend a lot of time in museums and I go, and, and really, the more I paint, the more I'm inspecting how other people are painting, and if you look at a Monet water lily, you could probably look at that for the rest of all time sure. and, and learn a tremendous amount, both about the nature of being alive and the nature of, you know, what kind of truth you want to express in your life and how do you use that white, how do you do that white and how do you do that thing. So. Um, the, you know And then there's copying, and then there's trying not to copy. Right, right. It's just a big mess that keeps changing all the time. And what about books that you...
1: Are they, do you feel that anyone's been very influential in your writing?
0: There, there are people who have inspired me very much in my writing, of course. I don't know whether you'd see it, but I think probably, you know, uh, Nabokov jumps to mind, and Jane Austen, uh, and... Um, Seabold and uh, Robert Walser. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, a range of different people depending on who I'm reading at the time.
1: I now want to ask you about Toscanini's The Great Conductor's Pants that you bought at
0: auction. Thank God you're getting to that. It's really, it's an important part of <laughs> my life. And I, I, I
1: just wanna know, did you go to the auction knowing that you wanted to bid on these pants?
0: or what? yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Or were you at this sort of eccentric auction and there came the pants and it was like, my God, I've gotta have these pants.
0: <laughs> no, I was pre-prepared. Okay. And, uh, they, there was an And there was an ad in the Times that the uh, Toscanini, his grandson died, Walfredo, and Walfredo owned a lot of Tuscanini effects and ephemera and paintings and sofas and silver, and one of the things they mentioned in the ad was Tuscanini's pants, and so when I read that, it was like, are you kidding me? Those pants are mine. <laughs> But I was very sure that the entire city of New York and every opera house in the world would be there bidding against me, and I was hysterically nervous, and I, and I kept upping how much I would spend on, this, on these pants, and I was sure I wouldn't get them. And when I, was, when I got there, I was wildly nervous, and then they came up for auction, and there was only one other person bidding against me, and I couldn't believe it. I said, this, these are the most precious. You know, they say, this is the treasure of, you know, King Tut's treasure. Tuscanini's pants, you know, um... Similar to my mother's underpants. I mean, we're close to right, my mother's right, right. underpants, but not really. But actually, he was in Tel Aviv when, when she was there, and he, as oh, I say yes, in the book, yes, yes, he would have yes. fallen in love with her, so he could have been... His pants could have been near her pants. Anyway, <laughs> whatever that means. So... Um,
1: and, Do I, you won know, who and the, I won them, you, and I won them. So you, did you bid back and
0: forth? With, who was this other person? I don't know. I was, I was told, don't look around and get crazy, because then you're going to lose, you know, it's like this. this is a, you just have to focus on the auctioneer with your paddle and just listen to it and just li- keep lifting it. That's great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Terrific. So I, um, can we just talk about those embroideries a little
0: bit? Were you, are, you, are you a person who does embroider also? Was it a family... It was a family thing but what happened was that when I was working on the elements of style and I was somehow very in a very heightened sense of excitement over this book, I thought that it was really an important project for me and I adored doing it but I was a little bit nervous so to cool down, I started drawing on fabric, which okay. was, so the, the embroideries are really my drawings and writing on fabric, and it grew and grew and grew until I did many of them. I did about 30 or 40, which were then in a show. Oh, you've shown and, them, up. And one of the series was, uh, you know, for, and then when my mother died, and it was, you know, um, I mean, it was kind of at the same time, that was a way for me to meditate on her, you know, on her. And uh, sewing, of course, as any of you know, embroidery is a very slow process. You know, I'm an illustrator, and I have to paint to deadlines, so it's usually it's a snappier kind of thing. But uh, when you sew, and when you're with the thread and the needle and the fabric, it really slows down things a lot, and you have time to think. Sure, like needlepoint or knitting. I... This will be
1: my last question which is in a couple of parts. I wanted to know um, I wanted to know what you were reading now and what well, it, and if you don't love it it's okay. You no, can mention. No, I'm going it. to tell you. Yes, please. I don't
0: love it. It's funny because <laughs> I um You know, this is the obnoxious part is that I'm in a Proust group, which is the greatest thing I've ever... You know, one of the greatest... I had children, I love them very much, but being in this Proust group is one of the greatest things I've ever done with the person who's leading it. This is year number three. And the more I read, the more I think there is no other book on planet Earth. But as a kind of... I started reading My Struggle a few days ago because it came as a, you know, thing, and I can't stand it. No, no. (laughs) Just saying. Um, and I don't, I, I can think of a lot about why I can't. Uh, at first, I was very excited for the first few, few pages. I said, wow, this is really amazing. And the more I read, the more I said, I am, anyway. so No, no, I had a similar scared. experience. It's, it's, an eight, it's a six volume. I think the first three volumes have been translated into English. Exactly. And it's, it's, you know, it's an interest. it's an epic memoir. Anyway, say no more. That's it. That's what I'm reading now. Um. Or not, not reading now anymore.
1: So what, what have you loved that you've read recently?
0: Uh, Robert Proust. Valser's the, the walk. Well, Proust, of course, is oh, right, like right. you know all-consuming and you know all the time, all Proust, all the time. But uh, Robert Valser's the walk, I think, is an extraordinary piece, and and should and maybe turn into a, a ballet that a friend of mine is working oh, on. How wonderful. So. Uh, I, I would say, you know, I, I'm sure I've read other things, And, and I can't remember them then. I
1: always like asking this, because, I mean, you've sort of said it with Proust, but I am also interested in a classic that you uh, read or perhaps have reread recently yeah. that really you go back to and you love, and it's Proust, but are there yeah. other Madame Bovary. Okay, yeah. Um, what is it about? Pride and Prejudice. What is it about Madame
0: Bovary? There's a, a, for me, there's a, a, um, a clarity and a rigor of, of the sentences and the light. If there's something about the light that's in the sentences, and I feel as if it's, it's a painting. Um, you know, it's a painting by, you know, Manet or something like that. So the, the way that people uh, inhabit the world and how sad they all are yeah. and how hopeless it all is, well, isn't it? Isn't it though? <laughs> Not when we
1: look at your books. <laughs> so I will end on that right. that note, note on this rainy, note, rainy right. day. Thank you so much, Thank Myra. You. Very much. A pleasure, a pleasure having Thank you. you. Um, Thank you all for coming. Myra Hellman will be signing uh, at the store behind me. Um, but I would like to take some questions first from the audience, Um, and I'm going to give my microphone to this lovely woman, and I will point out who will be chosen.
0: Um, Just based on what you were saying about Proust and and Madame Bovary, how do you deal with translations? I mean, do you read in French, or do you, how do you you guarantee the translations you're reading are truthful and fair to the, well, the that's best. a whole other conversation. Nothing is guaranteed. You can only do the best you can. That's what I have available. So, there, you know, translators, that's, of course, that's a whole other conversation. But um, I'm going to rely on people who, who, are, who other people tell me I've done a good job. I'm interested in your painting style. Do you sketch before you paint or do you go directly to paints? I usually do drawing a bunch of drawings before I get to the painting part of it. So uh, our son loves uh, Next Stop Grand Central, and I was wondering how that project came about. That's funny because we could, we're almost in Grand Central in that way. Um, I had done the, they were renovating Grand Central those many years ago, and they asked me to do the construction barricade, so I did a series of drawings which were blown up into huge barri- barricades and you know, ripped apart and just used as, to hide other stuff. And it was based on the, the nature of Grand Central and people and eating and running. And, and then I loved being there so much that I said I really wanted to hang out some more. And a book was, I think, I think a Charlotte Chidi, my agent, said, so why don't you just do a book and just hang out there? So that's what it grew into. I was able to interview the people that work there and just spend you know some wonderful months hanging out and skulking around Grand Central. Um, have you thought about doing an illustrated companion to *In Search of Lost Time*? <gasps> oh, I couldn't do that. But there's a beautiful, beautifully illustrated—of course, my, my, I'm blanking on the illustrator now, but there, or painter—where there's a, a, vo, a like, kind of an oversized volume of *Swan's Way*. Uh, do any of you know it? it's it's so, and it's beautifully painted and i think that i would probably be i wouldn't be up to the i wouldn't i wouldn't be good enough to do that so i'm going to leave it to other people Let's take one. Uh, what proportion of your projects are, sorry what proportion of your projects are self conceived versus suggested to you uh, you know, the good news is that I've always thought that I should be, cons- you know, be the author of my own project, and that's happened a lot over the years, but certainly, uh, you know, as, as my career has, has grown, I'm the author of more of them. And, but it's completely wonderful, and one of the wonderful things about being an illustrator or a writer is that somebody calls you and says, are you interested in doing this project? So you don't know what's going to happen the next day. And, the colla- and I get to choose collaborations that I think are really smart and funny and that the people are really wonderful. If the people aren't wonderful, then it's, you know, it's not going to happen. So it's, you know, so that's a good part of my life. Oh, I turn down a lot, you know, I turn down, you know, book, turn down things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Quickly, my son Max and I want to say thank you for the Max books. And then also, um, speaking of collaborations, your collaboration with Daniel Handler was so delightful. I got so tied up in the story, and then it was like, oh, yeah, there's an illustration. It was like a present. So I wanted to ask about your collaboration with Daniel.
0: Daniel and I are, uh, uh, he's, hes of course, he's brilliant and funny and wonderful. And we have an, an ongoing dialogue where we've now worked on four books together, and and. Um, there is a, an exchange, you know, we send each other photos and things and odd bits of information and somehow, you know, it happens organically, which is really for me the best way that out of a conversation that's kind of a sideways sentence that you didn't really know you were going to say, you go, oh, well, that would be nice to do. Why don't we do that? And, and it feels right and it feels like you. And I think that's the most important, you know, that for us, we always are trying to be ourselves or find ourselves and not to be something else. And so... He and I can do that together, happily.
1: Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you all. Thank you.
0: This podcast is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Learn more at nypl.org/podcast. And to make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud.